Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. In my home today to do this podcast is my friend Spencer Thompson. Welcome to the podcast, Spencer. Thank you for having me. Spencer is a married father of four. They have children, Spencer and his wife, Mary, ages 16 months to nine years old. Spencer, by profession, is a physical therapist. Um, He's been working in that for about 12 years. Tell our listeners um, just your focus as a physical therapist. Sure. Um, So I work for the University of Utah. I do outpatient neurologic physical therapy. It's my specialty. So I work with people who've had some type of paralysis from a stroke or brain injury or spinal cord injury or loss of mobility in that aspect. I also work with a lot of people who've had limb loss, um, really focusing on lower extremity prosthetics. And so people with some pretty dire circumstances that I get to help and provide hope to. So it's a really... Um, humbling and um, neat profession to be part of. That's a whole nother podcast. The work you're doing <laughs> yeah. there. Yes. When you started physical therapy school at the University of Utah, did you know that's what you'd end up doing or did that come later? That's, I knew I wanted to do that. Why? Um, when I was in high, uh, junior high, one of my best friend's moms was in a motorcycle, uh, a car accident and she was paralyzed from the neck down. And I just, I saw the good that the therapists were able to do to help her. So I was pre-med for a long time. I did pretty much all my prereqs and um, was doing research and getting ready to apply. And I just hated it. I worked as an orderly for about a year in the OR out at Alta View Hospital in Sandy, Utah. And it was, it was a good thing I did that. I hated it so much that it was like, okay, medicine isn't for me, but I knew I loved working with people and being with people. Um, so I switched gears, um, did a little extra year of undergrad to do the pre-rexure PT school and applied. And it was perfect switch for me. Um, as therapists, we spend a lot of time with people. I mean, I've been working with some of my patients for years and uh, you develop some pretty neat relationships and you get to see some pretty powerful changes in their life. So it's great. Um, such needed work and interesting that experience sort of propelled you into this space. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about Spencer's article in the Ensign. Sorry, listeners, the Liahona um, in October of 2021. We'll listen to it. it. We'll list it in the show notes and when we post about it. It's called um, Same Sex Attraction My Journey from Shame to Joy. It's a terrific article about. Um, using this power of the Savior to take shame and bring hope through the gospel in our lives. Spencer is somebody that I've been aware of, became a friend a couple years ago. He's been, I think, the president of North Star for how long? Um, almost two years. And that is a complex job. And the time I saw you there, you had like just all these logistics of putting that conference together. Mm-hmm. And um, a terrific, um, organized, great conference. Um Spencer um, has same-sex attraction. He'll talk about that. But I, and the article in the Ensign will be the framework for this podcast. So I'll have Spencer, because the article is so terrific, I've asked him to just read from the article, and then we'll discuss different sections. Um, so we're just, and it's kind of just like going out to lunch and the two of us um, talking. So with that, um, I'll just turn it over to you. I don't know if there's any more of an introduction you want to give. Um, or just start with reading from this article? Maybe I'll just give a quick little bit of background about why I wrote this article. That's great. 
um, I was approached by somebody I'd met at the North Star Conference um, in 2020. And she reached out saying, hey, we, we are looking for some people to write articles about same-sex attraction, LGBT issues from different perspectives. And we would love to hear something that you would maybe have to offer. Um, and so I gave other suggestions as well. And ultimately um, we decided that I had some stuff that I would like to share. As scary as it is, it's not easy being vulnerable and open like this. I'll be honest, it's taken a lot of work, um, inner healing work to kind of get to this space, but I feel like God has guided me. Um, but it, I wrote this about nine months ago and there's a lot of editing that went into it that, you know, going back and forth to make sure things were, said the way they needed to be said and, and, um, and trying to keep my authentic perspective as well. So, um, let me just, just a comment here, listeners, this, I won't, if anybody's listening to this at all, that's, um, same sex attraction, LGBTQ or straight, my invitation to you is the things Spencer will share in this podcast will help you. This isn't just if you're same-sex attraction, LGBTQ. I listened to, and we'll talk about this later, a keynote Spencer gave in 2020 about the Savior taking upon his burdens. It's one of the very best talks about the Savior and his role in his life I've ever heard from anybody, and we'll link to that in the show notes. So this is a podcast for all Latter-day Saints, and the things that Spencer shares with you, um, to me, are scalable to your individual situation to find more hope and healing in the Savior. So with that, I'll turn it back to you, Spencer. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, really the title just kind of describes that I used to carry, and still at times do, deep, deep shame about this part of myself. And I, I choose to use same-sex attraction for me. I know other people use gay, you know, bi, queer, whatever works for them. This is what works for me is, for me, this is, a way that it feels authentic to describe myself is it's a part of me. I don't like to view it as the main part of me, but it's just, it's a part of me. Um, and that's why I choose to say I identify as same-sex attracted. Um, and if other people have other labels, that's totally fine. And I support them in that. I think it's an individual thing and we need to respect and honor what people choose, how people choose to describe themselves. Cause it's a very personal thing. So, um, so for me, it was, it's a healing journey really of coming to know the savior through this. And it's really my, my attractions and working through the shame I've carried around them has been the catalyst for me to really come to know the savior in ways I didn't even know were possible. And so that's really why I felt guided from the, from the Lord really in Christ and sharing this experience, um, because I want people to know that there's a place in the church for anybody. Um, and I think openly talking about these things is so needed and is so important and it's scary, but it's so, it's so needed because I sat in the pews for so many years, just thinking I was the only one. Like I had moments in my life where I thought I was the only guy in the church that dealt with this. I would describe myself as the most disgusting man. Like literally those words came through my head because it, the shame was so deep for me. And if there was an article like this that would have been published when I was a teenager, I can't tell you what good that would have done for me. And so I'm just so grateful that the church is willing to to be more open about things like this because there's such a need for it. And my hope with this and why I felt the Lord guiding me to do this was helping people know there is a path of joy 
to be found while working through the complexities of sexuality and gender. There is, and it's not easy. I'm not here to say this is a pain-free journey. It's not. And I talk, and we'll talk about that and talk about it in this article, but um, there's purpose in our pain. And I think as we're willing to step into that and explore that versus just reacting to it, but sit with it and invite Christ into that pain with us, there's beauty, true beauty to be found. And it's beauty that can't just happen. It has to be worked for, if that makes sense. So that was really kind of the basis of this article. And um, it's been, it's been a, a journey I'm grateful for. It's one that I, I mean, who I would have never guessed in a million years that I'd be doing a podcast or write an article, right? I wanted to carry this to the grave. I didn't want to tell a single soul, but um, it's amazing how God works and how he keeps nudging and pushing us along to, to heal and to be more open like this. So that is great. Um, so I guess we'll just read it and then talk about parts and it's so well written. I'd love you to read from it. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, so this first part is talks about me being in, in, what, oh, in a therapy session with an art therapist. So it says, I held the paint in my hand, the paint, the paint pen in my hand and started painting the blank, blank canvas in front of me. I was giving art therapy a try and my therapist and I were working together to help me overcome some of the deep shame I was experiencing. I'd pick the color blue to represent these feelings on the canvas. When my therapist asked me what I wanted to do with the shame, I immediately thought of Jesus Christ and of his healing power. I picked up a yellow pen to represent his light and began to mix the blue and the yellow together. The two colors started to form a bright green, a color we see in the spring after a long cold winter. To me, this green represented giving my pain, fear, and shame to the Savior and Him providing healing in return. The painting became a representation of who I was becoming, a new man in Christ. It also led me to a new way of living and to feeling greater love for my Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. I've always believed that we come to understand more about Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ as our various experiences in life help us to draw nearer to them. As I've sought to draw closer to them during my experience with same-sex attraction, I have learned more about the true nature of God, felt of His love, and benefited from His tender mercies. I became aware that I was attracted to men as a teenager. I didn't know what to do with my feelings or how to talk about them, so I just buried them for a long time. I was too afraid to acknowledge that this was a part of my life. I felt that if I just continued to keep the commandments, pray, read my scriptures, and go to the temple, and if I served a mission, God would somehow miraculously, miraculously take these feelings away from me. While all of those practices did help establish my testimony of the restored gospel and of God and of our Savior, my tractions did not change. Eventually, through a lot of deep soul-searching, praying, and skilled therapy, I became closer to them learn to truly understand and feel their love and mercy and learn to work through my attractions while keeping my covenants. And I believe that we can all come to know Heavenly Father and the Savior as we truly seek them and strive to draw closer to them. As the Savior said, draw near unto me and I will draw near unto you. President Russell Nelson stated, we can even give thanks for our trials from which we learn the things we would not know otherwise. I know this is true because there are truths I have learned and mercies I have witnessed from God and Jesus Christ that I may not have seen without searching and efforts I have made through this experience. 
And here are some of those mercies that I've experienced. So I love that section, Spencer. I love um, the black canvas, the colors, the color green, and just um, a therapeutic tool that you shared here to retake out shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, I think I think there's a stigma around therapy. I'll be honest, and I'm grateful we can talk about it. You know, I serve in the high council in my ward, and I try to make a point each time I speak to talk that I have been through therapy. I am currently seeing a therapist. You know, I just think there is we need to get rid of this stigma around therapy because all of us need help. And when we're willing, I didn't want to do therapy. Right. I was just, I just had, like I mentioned there, I just thought if I kept praying and reading my scriptures that I wouldn't have to do anything and it would just miraculously, I'd be okay. But I've just learned God doesn't work that way. And I've been mad at him at times because he hasn't worked that way, but I'm grateful he hasn't because of what I've learned. And, um, my wife and I were, were seeing a therapist. Um, she's wonderful. Um, her name is Kristen Hodson. Um, she was working with us through a lot of issues in our marriage. And we'd done a lot of work separately. Um, but we needed to start to work on things together and face some of the complexities of our marriage. And she, we were in a therapy session and just working through some things. And she was like, Spencer, I can still sense there's a lot of shame that you're carrying around your attractions. And I was like, yeah, there is. So she's like, what if you go visit with one of her colleagues? Um, her name's Mary. Um, also Mary, my wife's name's Mary and a lot of good Marys in this world. Um, she does art therapy. She's like, would you be uh, open to that? And I'm open to all types of therapy. I've done a lot of different types of therapy over the years and found them all really helpful. Um, but I'm prayerful about which type of therapy I'll engage in and let, let God guide me in that. But I felt right about this. And so we'd done several sessions of this and we were um, up to this point of when I created this. And there's a picture of it in the article that um, we'll link in this, it, that will show it. But what it was and why I, I've, I felt I needed to share this to me, it was such a profound way to portray the savior. Um, Cause I think all of us, like she was having me just talk through a lot of these emotions, these deep, painful, shameful feelings I'd carried for so long. And you know, the color that for me was blue and there were these water, there were these, I think they're, they're watercolor pens. Um, and so I just was with my left hand, I just kept drawing with this, with this blue color. And she just had me feel with it as I was coloring. And then, like I mentioned, she said, well, what do you want to do with that? You know, it was kind of like, you can stay in these painful emotions or what do you want to do with them? And I think that's a question all of us need to ask ourselves is what are you willing to do with the pain, with the shame that you carry? You know, I think a lot of us, we don't know what to do with that. And I didn't know what to do with that, but I've learned. And to me, it was learning how to invite the savior into this with me. Um, and I've learned other ways as well, you know, building community, having supportive friends and all things like that. But what was important to me this time was learning deeper how to invite the savior in. And so what I did was I just grabbed a yellow color, which um, to me represented light and the savior. And so I colored with that on this other, on my right hand and just kind of felt that empowerment of thinking of the savior. And so she had me kind of bring the two colors together and they started to mix with each other. And what happened was, is I, if you look closely at the painting, it's not 
green by itself that was sprouting forth. It was the mixture of the blue and the yellow together combined cool. together as to what made the green. Cause if you look at it, there's still flecks of blue. There's still flecks of yellow in that green. And what's cool is after that they were t- together, she had me cause with these watercolor pens, you take water then cause it, um, they're not fully mixed. And then you, you put the water over it and it fully kind of m- uh, melds them together. But why I felt that's important is the savior to me in that representation came into that space with me. It wasn't that he took it from me. I initially wanted Christ to just take this from me. It felt like such a burden for so long, but I learned that that's not how he works most of the time. You know, I think he works so individually with each of us, but for me, and I think for so many situations, he, we need to learn to how, how to invite him into that space. And it was the mixing of him with the pain and him not taking that pain away, but me continuing to sit with him and connect with him in that space, that new life started for. And that's what the green represented. And it was, if you look at the painting, it's kind of a sprouting forth, kind of like, and you know, when grass starts to come forth in the spring or a, you know, a plant sprouting forth out of the earth, it's kind of new life being formed. And that's, that's to me what the savior is is he provides life. He, he talks about it in the scripture so much. And I spoke yesterday in church and used a scripture, John 10, 10, where he talks about, I am the source of all life. You know, we, we, I think we focus on the resurrection a lot, which is such a beautiful gift, like amazing gift he offers, but he also provides life for us now. And it's when we're willing to l- allow him into this space with us. And first, I think we have to own our pain. He can't help us fully with something that we don't own. I had to own that these attractions were a part of me. He couldn't help me deal with them until I fully owned that, yeah, this is a part of who I am. And by doing that and by opening this channel with him, he helped me heal the shame around the attractions, the fear I faced, the fear of rejection, the fear of being different, the fear of not belonging, all these messages I'd carried for so long and that they still come up for me, to be honest. And um, at times, and I have learned in a much more healthier way how to continue to heal with him in that space. But I just think that it's such a representation of Christ doesn't necessarily always take our pain away, but if we learn to invite him in, then he can help that pain start to heal and start to grow into something that we haven't experienced before. And so that's, that's what I've learned through that. And what I, you know, I like to talk about that because I think, I don't think we view the savior enough in that way. And I think we want this quick fix. You know, when I started therapy years ago, I approached it with this cure mindset of like, Oh, if I do this, this, and this, God will cure me, cure me of this. Right. Well, I was wrong. Like after three years after I started therapy, I was still in therapy learning like what I want to call the healer's art. Christ wasn't about curing me of this. And there's this great talk. I quote it. I quote, well, we get to in a minute, but I quote it in here by Jonathan Sandberg, where he talks about that healing is a painful process, but in the cure is a quick fix. I think so much in our world right now is preaching a quick fix to so many things. But quick fixes don't get us long-lasting results, and nor do you become 
who you're meant to be through a quick fix. But it was me healing the shame and, and these pains that I carried that were so deep for me, you know, pains about my body and how I perceived myself in relation to other men and um, other things. You know, I had issues with pornography years ago and just working through stuff around that, that inviting him into that space with me and learning what healing really is, is what has gotten to me where I am today. And I'm, I am by far way far from perfect. I still am a, I'm a work in progress. I'm a mess at times, but I'm still learning and growing, but still continuing to learn how to invite the savior in this way. And I had to learn that, um, until I was able to, uh, until I was willing to get real with myself, I wasn't able to really experience the atonement. But when I was willing to get real with everything and start to face things head on, then I felt like the savior was able to be real with me. So. It's a great segment. It's one of your gifts, Spencer, is the ability to sort of not theoretically talk about the atonement, but to practically talk about it in real life, how yeah. it works. And I love this idea that you brought the Savior in. Mm -hmm. um, I love your idea. I love you giving voice to therapy. I, I've been to therapist twice. Um, I, last time was during my YSA assignment. I didn't tell a single YSA or my counselors. I was embarrassed that if they even saw me walking in, they would see me less of a leader. But if I'd go back and redo that, Spencer, I'd be more honest about, about that. I don't look at that now as a spiritual weakness. Uh, it's the reality of my life at that point with just the emotional challenges I faced in that assignment. Mm -hmm. I'm glad to have a wonderful therapist. She's terrific. She helped me significantly. That's awesome. But um, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate that vulnerability <laughs> as well. You know, I think it's awesome. But I do remember, you know, I, yeah. And so I just, Elder Holland certainly has been open about his emotional health. But I think culturally, we've kind of in this Puritan cult world, we'll just solve it on our own. Mm -hmm. um, but we need Jesus and we need a therapist. Yes, both. And I love the way you've merged those together in this art. That's part of the Ensign article, and just the power of that mm -hmm. is really helpful. But you're vul real vulnerable here, Spencer, and I think that's part of your ability to reach and help others is you're, this isn't theoretical. This is you being real open, which to me teaches the principles of the atonement. I've always felt it's hard. It's easy to teach the repentance side of the atonement because it's kind of these steps, but the atonement to heal and take away shame it's not repentance related, but very needed in our life is what you're one of your gifts. So um, talk about just, yeah, go through um, the next section of the Ensign article. Sure. And I also want to thought real quick to that. Uh, well, I, I, yeah, as to, through therapy, I've learned, and my current therapist right now, she's helping me realize that repentance really is, in a sense, it is repentance because I've, the way I viewed myself has been flawed. It's interesting. Right. And so I've had to repent of that because I have not been looking at myself in the way God created me. And so I've had to repent of that and do a lot of thought work and changing that because these patterns of how I thought about myself were so ingrained in me that it had to, you know, I've had to do a lot of work around that, but it has in a sense been repentance because I've had to, she just taught me that repentance just turning back to God and just me repenting in the way I view myself or the way I view myself in relation to others or, you know, how I view 
other men or how, you know, just changing that mindset and that perspective in a sense is a repentance because I'm having to once again, take a step back and get clear with myself and what's going on within me. And then repenting of those things and really just turning it to Christ and then turning back to God and seeing the world more through his eyes. So in a, in a sense, I think it's kind of a different way of looking at repentance, but I think repentance is so much more broad than we give it credit for. It used to be something I was scared to death of, you know, because it was, seemed like it was a heavy thing that was this horrible, gut-wrenching process you had to go through. And sometimes it is, but it doesn't have to be because really it's about coming back to Christ, coming back to the Savior. And they, I've come to know God and Christ to be so much more open and loving than I ever thought they were, could be. <laughs> and I've just learned that they get the why. They get why we all make the decisions we make because they, they know our whole history. They know all the things we've experienced, all the, you know, traumas we've had or the, the conversations had the people, whatever they, they know us, they know us so deeply, all of us. And so to me, why not turn to the one who gets me so deeply? Why not consistently turn to the one who knows me intimately because he can restore those parts of me that are, that I have viewed as flawed, if that makes sense. And so it's not a, I think we focus as just dealing with sin and that the gospel is all about sin management, but I think the gospel is not about sin management. It's about making us more whole and more alive. That's great. So I've never heard sin management used in my lifetime. That's a great phrase. Yeah. I think it's we, about making us whole. Yeah. That's, 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 that's a what, big difference. Yeah. To me, that's what the sacrament is, right? I partake a part of Christ. I surrender these parts of myself that aren't bringing me life. And when I take her the sacrament, I bring in a part of Christ to fill that void of something I just surrendered. And that gives me, in a sense, more life. So, Love that. Okay. So the next part. Um, so I, I talked about three tender mercies that I've learned. And the first one was recognizing that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ love and accept me. Um, throughout my life, I felt the power that comes from knowing that I am a son of God and from trusting in the love of God and Jesus Christ. There are so many voices in the world trying to tell us who we should be and how to define ourselves. And if we aren't careful, they could overpower the voice of the Spirit. I've often wrestled with these conflicting voices, and through this wrestle, I've discovered the clarity that comes when I let God prevail in my life. Just as President Nelson taught when he testified that the only way to survive spiritually is to be determined to let God prevail in our lives, to learn to hear His voice. Learning to keep Heavenly Father's commandments and being willing to let Him guide me has been absolutely vital in my journey. Doing so has shown me that although we can have many layers to our identities, at the core, we are beloved children of Heavenly Parents. As I followed Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, I've drawn closer to them and my views of them have become clearer. I used to have this false perception that I wasn't loved and that I was, and that I was being punished because of my attractions. But coming closer to them has allowed me to experience the hope and perfect love described in the Book of Mormon and Mormon 8.26. I've come to know, I've come to personally know that the love of God is the most desirable above all things, and that love can help us to continue to grow and change. 
A few, a few years ago, I was becoming more comfortable with sharing my experience with same-sex attraction. However, I was having a hard time feeling like I belonged at church. On a beautiful October Sunday, I took a moment to go on a walk and pray before going to Elders Quorum. I was feeling quite raw and vulnerable from sharing some of my personal experiences and feared how people would perceive me. I knew Heavenly Father could help provide the peace I needed. I prayed to Him, letting Him know the pain and the emotions that I was experiencing. I remember saying, God, how can I go back to a place where I feel that people just don't get me? And this was the impression that came to my mind. Spencer, they don't need to get you because I get you. Knowing that Heavenly Father and the Savior truly saw me, understood me, and loved me was in that moment a profound tender mercy. They affirmed my belovedness that day, and I realized that following them and remembering that I belong to them fills me with joy and helps me see what I can be. Being reminded of this eternal truth, being reminded of this eternal truth and allowing it to take root in me gave me the peace that I needed. That's great. So I'll share a little bit more about that experience that I had. Um, I didn't have room to share it fully, but I, I did a fifth Sunday. Um, and my, my bishop and I, we met, he was such, he, he's not a bishop anymore and I have a wonderful bishop now. But when I was working through a lot of things, his name is Jeff Christensen. Yeah, I know Jeff. Oh, he's just he's just become such a godsend in my life. He's, he's a such good an amazing guy. man. And he the way he approached this with me, I think it's a great way for a lot of leaders of how to work with people in these situations of sexuality and gender, is he just would sit and listen with me. And he just it was never a preaching to me. It was just how's Spencer doing? And he just would sit and listen. And it was so therapeutic for me because part of it is I, I need connection with men, right? That is a part of my, who I am is I, I need that. That just helps, you know, um, helps me feel more whole is just positive connection with men. I think all men need that. That's why we have elders quorum in relief society. But I think men who don't experience same-sex attraction don't realize that enough, but men need men and women need women. And having this positive connection with him was just healing for me in that sense, but also just having a space where I could just open up authentically and have him hear me. But we got to a point where he's like, Spencer, I feel like you need to share some of this with our ward. And I um, had just experienced some deep healing and some therapy stuff. And it was in a space where I, was willing to do that. And the way that felt authentic to me was to, to do this under the umbrella of the savior and um, to teach compassion in the way that he has shown compassion on me. And under that umbrella, share my story of same sex attraction. To me, it was not this boom, this is me. It just how I felt safe talking about it. And I think it was a way to really invite the spirit in, but we had a great discussion. And at the end of the article, I talk actually about some of these points of compassion that I've experienced and that I've learned in interacting with people. Um, so it was a very, it was honestly such an empowering spiritual experience. It was honestly kind of surreal that whole fifth Sunday and people were so loving that day. And was it a combined? Then? It was a combined meeting. Yeah, it was October, probably five years ago. This this October, I think. Um, but there's this thing I love, Brene Brown, and she talks about vulnerability hangovers. And 
I had a major vulnerability hangover and I was like, what? I felt so much love from people and it was kind of hard to take in. Um, and so the next Sunday I just felt awkward at church because I'm like, okay, I, some people knew about my experience because I, I, my wife needed a voices of hope video years before that. So our story was on the internet and, um, a lot of people knew and it didn't talk to me about it. And that's something that I, I think people need to learn how to hold, talk to people more about these things because it, it's helpful. Um, but everybody is in their own process of learning what that looks like for them. But I, I, I honestly, I didn't want to go to church that day. And um, I went to sacrament and um, it was fine, but elders quorum was next. And I was like, I can't go. I was like, you know, the kids were in primary and I was like, I just, I'm not going to go. So I didn't. And I went, it was a, honestly such a beautiful October day and um, the sun was just shining. And I went on this walk and I call it a walk with God. I just was like, God, I was just like, this is so hard. <laughs> you know, like I'm grateful that I was able to do this, but it's not easy being vulnerable and open like this. It's a, it's a process. And I was like, I, and I literally said that to him. I was like, I don't want to go back to a place where I judge people don't get me. And I literally heard him say word to word, Spencer, they don't need to get you because I get you. And to me, that was so profound because that is to me is what matters first and foremost is connection with God and with the savior first and foremost, and letting that be what defines me, be what matters most is knowing how they feel about me because I have had to work through so much. I can, I can be what called a validation junkie. Like I need affirmations from other people in order to feel good about myself. And I've had to do a lot of work about letting that go and just letting what God thinks of me be the most important and continuing to prime that that feeling with him um, because there's a lot of competing voices out there and shame in my head is a competing voice or our judgments that we think people are thinking about us are competing voices. And um, I just think that's such a relevant thing to all of us is where are you at in your relationship with God? Do you know what he thinks about you? <laughs> And the therapist I'm working with now, she challenged me. She's like, Spencer, I want you to pray for seven days consistently, 20 times a day, whatever you can. Just constantly pray to know what he thinks about you. And I did. And it was so awesome. On the end of that seven days, I felt different. But it wasn't just a simple prayer of like, hey, God, what do you think about me? Then I go right back on Instagram. You know, it's it was a consistent, effortful process. but that effort was met with some really deep truths that I am a beloved son of God. And that is the core identity that I try to keep coming back to and nurture. So that's a great, everything you taught there is applicable to all of us. Yeah. Vulnerability hangover. That's pretty cool. Just to understand, connect the dots between that really good experience and then the challenge of going back to Elders Quorum and all those voices, just the reality of what does everybody really think and all yeah. the people who didn't say anything, what did they really think? And I loved how you just had that deeply spiritual experience. I've always loved creating self-worth and things we can control. 
And we can all control that relationship with our Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. And that's and how everybody in Elders Quorum or Relief Society or our different circles think about us, we can't control. So I love what you're teaching us to tie our self-worth into things that we can control and, and things are the most important. Yeah. And it's a wrestle. That's not one that I mean, I still wrestle with it, I'll be honest. And it's a continuing to learn how to work through that. And, but I think also one thing that I learned like that whole year after for me, church was, I've never had a hard time going to church, but that was like, I had a hard time going to church and it was because of a lot of up here, right. Of how I might say, I'm pointing to my head. <laughs> Um, how I perceived myself in relationship to others that I think God was like, that. that's part of why I wanted you to do this because you need to heal that, how you perceive yourself in relationship to others. But also like, I think something that we can all learn to do better is how to is continue the conversation. When somebody shares something that is so deeply personal or is going through something hard, I don't think we do a good job of continuing. And I'm not shaming people. I'm just saying I can do better at this, but of continuing the conversation, like people that there are a few people that came up and, and, and followed up of like, how are you doing? That must've been hard, you know? And I, I think I needed more of that, but I think I needed to learn to rely on God. But I think that that is something I've learned that I want to continue to implement in my life is continue the conversation. Like we're all dealing with something. It's, it's, and I talk about this in these points of compassion, but be willing to get a little uncomfortable with somebody because the person on the other side is in a whole lot of uncomfort, uncomfort. If you are willing to step into some of that discomfort with them, all these like walls just fall to the ground and all of a sudden you can have a more compassionate, intimate connection. But I think oftentimes we don't have these conversations because of fear. (laughs) You know, um, there's a great video that I've shown that once again, I'll go back to Brene Brown, but it's called empathy versus sympathy. And you can go on YouTube and search it up, but she portrayed, there's this little cartoon of like a bear. I think it's a Fox, but the, I think the goat, it's a goat. The bear is in this pit of despair and the goat just peeks its head down and said, Hey, how are you doing down there? And then can I get you a sandwich type of thing? And then goes back up. But then she portrays that's sympathy. Like, Oh, you must be in struggle. Good luck. But she portrays that empathy is like being willing to crawl down into that hole with somebody. Sometimes it's not saying anything, but it's just that ability to sit with somebody in that space and just be like, I'm with you. You know, um, I think that is, is healing. And I think that's how the, what the savior does. He sits with people in that space. And I think we all need to continue to work to emulate the savior in that way of learning to sit with people in space. And it's probably uncomfortable for us, but I felt the savior tell me, Spencer, I was never comfortable. And so it's okay to be a little uncomfortable because we can learn the savior more through our levels of discomfort because I, he did a, and look at his life. I don't think anything he did was out of comfort. <laughs> and so I think the way we interact with people um, can, can be more like that. And I think, you know, issues of divorce, issues of loss, you know, death, you know, um, you know, issues of LGBT, same-sex attraction, gender, all those things. And I think that people are, don't understand, but what a way you can do that, I think is so easy is just go up to somebody and say, tell me more 
about this? You know, I think parents can do a better job of this, of like, tell me more how this was for you as a teenager. Tell me more about your experiences and opening up about this. You know, just tell me more because it's not a preaching thing. It's a way of like just getting the walls down and let's just, let's just create a space where we can share more intimately. And I think, I, I don't think I know, I know that more healing can happen in that space. So I love that. So really practical things, especially when someone's vulnerable in a church setting or in other settings, mm-hmm. the need to continue to co- keep the conversation going. Yeah. That's so important. It's hard to be vulnerable at church. It's sometimes a place where, you know, there's sort of the best answers and the most correlated thought. And, you know, if somebody's brave enough to say, I don't understand, or this is my experience, or I'm working through this, it takes a lot of courage sometimes in our culture, depending on the ward or the area, to be vulnerable. But then to do that is kind of a key ministering moment for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Um, as you were real vulnerable on the fifth Sunday, as you came out to your whole ward, the people that you're going to see every week yeah. for the rest of your life, assuming you stay in that ward. Yes. Well, I'll be honest, like my family, like my wife for sure was the most vulnerable family. And then honestly, like a ward setting is because you're, you do see them every Sunday. And I think that's why it was such a wrestle for me. And it was, I'm grateful I went through it because of what I've learned and I, um, the gifts God gave me through doing that. It wasn't easy. Um, but I've, I've learned a lot through that and I'm continuing to learn. So let's go to your next point. So this is point two. It says experiencing personal healing through the atonement of Jesus Christ. When I started to seek healing with regards to my same sex attraction, I thought that Christ would simply just take my attractions away, but that mindset shifted with time as I began to discover what I really needed to heal from. My attractions weren't the true source of my pain. Instead, there were deeper wounds of the soul that needed to be healed, deep shame I carried because of my attractions, feelings of inadequacy, and the mistaken idea that I wasn't worthy of love and belonging. While studying the Book of Mormon at this time, I was so uplifted by the verses in 3 Nephi 11 where Christ willingly shows the nail prints in his hands and feet to the Nephites. Reading about that event helped me feel that I could trust him with my wounds. And feeling this increased sense of trust in him helped me move forward on the path to healing. Elder Neil L. Anderson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles taught, The Savior is our good Samaritan sent to heal the brokenhearted. He comes to us when others pass us by. With compassion, he places his healing balm on our wounds and binds them up. He carries us. He cares for us. He bids us, come unto me and I shall heal you. For me, the healing has happened in layers, and Christ has continued to help me gradually heal from my shame and be able now to view my experience of same-sex attraction as a gift, an opportunity to grow closer to the Savior because I have sought Him out. This process of healing has required a sincere commitment of time, effort, and some pain, but it has ultimately led to joy. I have come to love this quote on healing from Jonathan Sandberg, a professor at BYU He says, healing is a gift from our Savior that will likely require effort and suffering on our part so that we can grow and develop through our struggles. The gift is often the refinement we experience in the process. I've had to look deep into my soul and explore the shame and pain in many different ways, including the painting exercise I mentioned earlier. I realized that the more willing I was to face these things, the more I was able to draw upon the Savior's healing power in my life. 
I've continued to seek his influence through consistent prayer, scripture study, meditation, heartfelt conversations with loved ones and trusted friends, and also therapy. The world can offer temporary relief, temporary relief, but I can testify that Christ offers new life, eternal peace, and restoration. Christ truly enables us to live more abundantly. That's in John 10.10. 10. The more we bring our entire selves to Christ and increase our faith in Him, the more He is able to work within us and the more wholeness, growth, and life we can receive through Him. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles once shared this thought. Come as you are, a loving Father says to each of us, but he adds, don't plan to stay as you are. We smile and remember that God is determined to make of us more than we thought we could be. I'm grateful to continue growing to become what he would have me be. Um, just a thought as I was reading that came to my mind that I'll talk about. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things I could talk about with this. Well, a couple of things is uh, healing, I, I, I believe and have experienced happens in layers. It's just one layer at a time. Like I kind of view it as like an onion, right? There's this gold I feel like that can be revealed about ourselves with each layer that's that's taken off. But when you think about like peeling something, if you imagine yourself being peeled, it's, it doesn't sound like a like a fun process, right? But I think that there is. I love this phrase. Um, it's called "gold in the wound." That there is gold on the other side of our wounds, but we have to be willing to go into them. The healing can't happen at a distance. The healing can't happen with, oh yeah, I've got that, but I'll look at that. And I did that for a long time of like, oh yeah, I'll address this someday. I didn't grow in the way that I, that I needed to by just acknowledging that it was there, but not doing anything with it. But I think this gold in the wound, I love because there is gold on the other side and gold to me is deeper truths about who we are. And who others are as we continue this healing process. And it's with the Savior being with us. And sometimes it is painful. It is painful to have to address wounds. But healing is not a simple put a Band-Aid on experience. You know, I mean, I work with people with severe disabilities or loss of limb or paralysis. And you can talk to them like therapy is not easy. But when they put in the effort, there's a process called neuroplasticity that the more somebody does, um, this is like healing from a stroke or a brain injury or spinal cord injury, the more intense it is, the more practice they get. That's how change can happen in the brain and the nervous system. But it's literally like 30,000 plus repetitions at a higher intensity that leads to healing. Same thing, I feel like with us, that like healing happens when we put in a lot of effort. And sometimes I feel like God's grace just shows up. And he can just meet us there. And, and, you know, I think healing can happen, but it doesn't always happen that way. And I think also grace can be experienced through effort as well. Um, and I, I've lo I love this image of Christ's wounds because I feel like he could have had those healed, right? But he didn't. And I think that was him. And I love that in 3511 when that's what he had him come touch first was his wounds. And to me, that's him saying, like, I get you. <laughs> I, I died for you so I can help you heal. Trust me with that. I feel like that's him being vulnerable in that sense of like, I get all of you. I died for you. Let me help you. And 
that it's just been a continual process of discovering him in that way. And it's not, like I said, it's not a one-time fix of healing shame, of healing emotional wounds, emotional scars, but it's a continual process. But I promise as I've experienced it and I continue to experience it, there is gold, there is beauty on the other side of that. And it's truly, it's the savior that makes that beauty possible. It's great. Go ahead and read number three. So the third point is developing deeper connections and compassion. Coming to know the value of showing empathy and compassion for myself and for others has been another blessing God has given me. Navigating the complexities of sexuality and faith is not something one can do on his or her own. But I tried for so long because I was afraid to open up to people. However, the more I've overcome that fear and learned to build connections based on trust, empathy, and compassion, the more I have invited love into my life and been able to show it to others. Christ demonstrated empathy in all of his interactions with others. An example of his empathy is found in the story of the woman with the issue of blood. He took time to see her, listen to her, show compassion for her struggle, heal her, and commend her for her faith. It amazes me how much faith she had to reach out and touch the Savior's clothing. But I think she felt safe to do so because of the compassion she knew Christ had shown to others. Demonstrating this type of compassion is vital in helping to build communities and congregations where people feel they can fully show up with whatever issues or challenges they might be facing. Our connections with others can truly provide deep healing, strength, and joy. Life can be hard, and situations surrounding sexuality, um, I'll say gender, and faith can be complicated at times. However, there are beautiful moments to be experienced important life lessons to be learned, and tender mercies to be found in any circumstance. Elder Yamashita of the 70 once taught, in our lives, we experience trials. But if we are ambitious for Christ, we can focus on Him and feel joy even in the midst of them. I am forever grateful for the tender mercies that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ have bestowed upon me and will continue to bestow upon me as I strive to follow them. That's great. Yeah, so, I mean, I've talked a lot about how the Savior helps us heal, but also it's it's interactions with others that help heal. Like, um, you can't move forward and work through any, I don't think any challenging experience without others. <laughs> you know, um, I, I'll go back to Brene Brown again, but she teaches that shame only grows in secrecy and silence. But I've learned that as I'm more open with people and invite people into this space with me, it helps me heal. <laughs> and in therapy, I've learned that like, um, when I, that I, that it, it was taught to me that I have brothers that love me and see me just as I am, that can see all of me and accept me just as I am. And when I felt that from other people and experienced that from them, I can't tell you the good that that does. Um, like I had a brother-in-law the night before I did my fifth Sunday, he came over. I, it, to me, it showed awareness of what I was doing that, that, that was going to be hard. And he came over and just gave me a hug and said, good luck tomorrow. Like I'm praying for you. Cool. You know, I, that to me was just like awareness and it just, it just helped. And I think um, like building connections with, with other men um, 
has has healthy connections. And you know, I'm careful with who I choose to be really close to. Um, but they are men that I trust that I can be fully authentic with. I would not have experienced this healing if it would not have been for them. You know, my parents have been so loving and just so um, compassionate and wanting to understand more. They've been so healing. And my wife and I, you know, through our marriage, it has not been easy. We, you know, I went into marriage. I'm able to share a little bit about marriage real quick. Um, not, I, went, I, I told myself I would go to the grave without this. I told one bishop when I was in college or I was in grad school um, and I took on so not, not by what he said, it was more the word saying it out loud. I was like, Oh crap, like this is real. So I, I hid, <laughs> I ran and I, and I transferred wards like two weeks later. So I told, after that moment, I said, I will not tell another soul. So I went into marriage with my amazing wife, Mary, um, not telling her and things started to get complicated and she could tell something was up. And I, I started therapy without her knowing. And my therapist was getting to a point where he wanted to um, work with me about how to talk to my wife, but we hadn't gotten there yet. And he'd gotten me in contact with some other guys that were great resources and support. And she by chance came across an email and just brought up a lot of emotions for both of us. And we've worked through so much since then. Um, and I've learned like my wife, she is such an amazingly strong, beautiful, powerful woman. And she's had to work on being a place of support for me for a while. It was like, Spencer, this is your issue. You need to work on this. But we've learned that like, no, this is, this is a part of our marriage. We need to work on this together so that we can, and it's forged us closer. I feel like we have a cool. really open relationship and it, we've had to work on that of trust and, and um, feeling safe to be more open in our marriage. But I think it's been both of us being willing this, like really this whole process, like Mary could talk about the savior in such real ways because she's had to go through her own experience. And like, she lost her mom and sister in a car accident when she was 14. Wow. But honestly, like this work, she would say this if she was here and she's home with her kids. I wish she could be here, but um, life's just busy. But she would say that this coming in this process with me and, and, and working through this in our marriage has helped her heal so much of these wounds she had from losing your mom and sister because it's forced her to have to really look at herself and what she's going what's going on within her and i think our marriage is thriving um, like she even wrote a book for me um, for our 10th anniversary and had that painting that I talked about as the cover of it, because like, that's been our marriage. <laughs> it's been us coming together, us involving a savior in our marriage to, to bring us together and, and really helpful, positive ways that has brought new life to our marriage. And it hasn't been easy. Like I, I and I don't think marriages like this are for everybody because they're not, but it's been our experience and it's been, I'm, I'm so grateful for what it has taught us and taught me and I know it's taught her so much. And so I, she's been such a great support. And I think sometimes we can expect people to be these amazing supports to us right away, but they also have to go through their own process of understanding, you know, issues of sexuality of LGBT or what, you know, really issues of anything in order to provide support. And so I've had to learn 
to give people grace and compassion as well as they're, they haven't had to look at things in the way I've had. And so, but I'm just, I say all that with, with this mindset that, that healing can't happen in isolation. And I think if we can continue to treat each other in the way the savior does each week at church, I think we will continue to provide a space where people can fully show up with whatever they're dealing with, not hide and find the hope and healing that they're looking for. Um, your marriage is a beautiful love story. Um, I love this idea of how to step in the pain and even um, help marry your wife sort of have the tools to step in the pain of losing your mom and sister that you're sharing mm-hmm. and how the things you're sharing help all of us step into the pain of the difficult things we all face. Yeah. And what you're teaching, I come back to this idea, it's scalable to all of us need to hear the things you're sharing and the understanding of the role of the Savior and the understanding of therapy and healing. And you're pretty honest with your marriage. I admire you doing that. I, You know, we don't do that very much. We're just saying marriages take work. Mm-hmm. My marriage takes work. Everybody's marriages take work. And I think you're talking in a very appropriate, authentic way that helps others have principles that can I love where you said this isn't your problem. At first, it was your problem to solve. Um, so marriages can be like that, where there's an issue and it's sort of like you solve that, then our marriage will. But I love the way that's really the covenant we make in a marriage is we come together mm-hmm. with the Savior to solve problems. And that often takes a therapist's skills to help us know how to do that. Some of us lack the tools to do that. Sure. Um, even though we believe in the Savior, we believe in the gospel, and we believe in our covenants. So there's some real practical stuff. I wanted to read listeners because I don't know if Spencer takes on the label of a mixed orientation marriage, um, which is what I define as some a marriage where both partners aren't straight. But I wrote in my book about this space on page 264, and I'll just read a little bit. Um, Let's see. Before I stepped in the space, the only mixed orientation marriages I were aware of were those that failed. I had falsely concluded from my limited sample size and understanding that all of these type of marriages failed. It was only after interviewing couples in mixed orientation marriages that my conclusion changed. I actually felt a rebuke by the Spirit during one of these interviews for my false conclusions. Now I understand these marriages can be beautiful and authentic love stories in which honesty, communication, vulnerability, power of and commitment to eternal covenants and common eternal goals can create a strong and healthy foundation. I also assume my awareness of successful mixed orientation marriages is limited as there are likely many couples not sharing this part of their life with others and there should be no requirement to do so. I sometimes hear of a spouse in a mixed orientation re- marriage referred to as the hero for making the marriage work. In some cases, this refers to the straight spouse. In other cases, the LGBTQ or SSA spouse. I'm not sure we should, I'm not sure we should judge who is more or less of a hero in any marriage. I'm not sure any of us understand the complexities of another marriage to elevate one spouse over another. Uh, many of these relations succeed even if the non-straight spouse comes out after the marriage. Um, which is the case in your situation. So one of the things I've seen as I've stepped in the space listeners is that, um, you know, you're not being authentic or you're not living your truth because you're 
married to a woman. And that just, to me, listeners, just adds to the burden of your road. We should want everybody's unit. We should want every marriage to succeed. Anybody that's gone into the covenant of marriage and have made those covenants, not every marriage succeeds. Straight marriages don't succeed. Marriages where both aren't straight. But let's don't sit on the sidelines because we have a story or we have a feeling and root that someone marriage fails or to think that your marriage is not a real marriage because that just adds to your burden, Spencer, and you know that. Mm-hmm. And a comment about labels, some take on the SSA label, some take on gay, some take on no label. And Spencer said this at the beginning, but I think it's a really important principle is let's let each person take on the label that works for them. And let's don't say they're not owning this or they're not authentic or they're whatever with whatever label they use or no lose. That just adds to their burden. Let's let's just do what Spencer invited us to do at the beginning of this podcast is honor the label or no label that everybody wants to choose because it just adds the burden. It divides us. So those are a couple of things that are important to me as I'm learning about this space. Um, talk about, you've got some tips here at the end of the article, um, Spencer's tips for showing Christ's love, compassion, or anything um, else you want to share, or if there's anything you want to clarify on what I said, you're welcome to talk about that. No, I appreciate the comments you shared. I think that's so great. Um, there, there's one point that um, there's this book I love. Oh, gosh, I don't know. I keep talking about Bernie Brown, but she's taught me so much. Same like, here. <laughs> just, I wish. I anyway, I have kind of a ago. crush on Bernie Brown, but she's. Um, I think a lot of people in this community do. But she wrote a book called "Braving the Wilderness." Yeah, and I love that book so much. It's a book about belonging. And she's so real and authentic, but she talked about, you can't hate people. She uses the word hate, but I would, you know, she talks about, you can't hate people close up. And I love that because you, like you talked about, you can't, when you move in, um, I talk about moving, I mean, like coming into somebody's space with them and hear their story. It's hard for you to hold judgment towards that person. Um, and so I think we all need to do that better. I think we just see a little tiny snapshot of somebody's life by how they describe themselves. And we come up with all these conclusions and thoughts, but we don't really know anything about that person besides that little snapshot or that little snapshot we see on Instagram. And I think it's our job to move in and I think, first of all, get curious about our own judgments why am I being so judgmental about this? And I need to work on this. I think we all do. <laughs> but I think getting curious first of like, why am I being so judgmental? What is this about me? <laughs> and then move in and and get curious about that person. Get curious about their story. You know, I think it takes curiosity. Curiosity, I think, is such a great theme because it gets rid of stories. And I think oftentimes our stories about ourselves and our stories about others are inaccurate. But curiosity, I think, gives space to learn more, learn more about ourselves and learn more about others. And so I just think I invite all of us, if we are in judgment, to take a step back, be willing to do the work to take a step back and get curious about yourself of like, why am I being so judgmental about this? What is it about me first that's causing me to be so judgmental. And then I think you are going to be able to see that person or that situation much more clearly and authentically. And 
move forward in a better way. But I think if you stay stuck, I say I, all of us can stay stuck in our stories about whatever situation or label we're not going to fully see the reality of somebody, their story, or the reality of an experience. So, and it takes thoughtful effort to do that. Um, do you want me to read these? I love com- these. Please do. Okay. And these are, they, they wrote Spencer's tips. They're really, I feel like ones that, you know, I've, God has learned, taught me. So I, I feel weird that it says Spencer's tips for compassion. I kind of like that. Spencer's <laughs> tips. I don't know. Um, anyway, the first one is to love people. In describing Christ's love, Sister Neil F. Marriott, former second counselor in the Young Woman General Presence, he stated, He takes us as we are and makes us more than we ever imagined. One of the most powerful truths I have discovered in my own healing journey is that I am loved. We all know we can do and be better, and certain blessings are dependent on our, on our obedience to God, God's commandments. But I know Heavenly Father loves me, and He will always receive me when I turn to Him. To feel loved can be incredibly healing, and we emulate Christ when we strive to help others feel that same way. So I think, really, so much of this just comes back to love. When we just seek to see people in the way that Christ sees them, I think it's such a paradigm shift. And He sees us through the eyes of love. And so I think when we can seek to see people and through that lens, it can change things. And I think people can feel that. Like I've, when people have interacted with me through a, a space of like, just love, you you can feel it. It's a tangible feeling. And I think sometimes we we are afraid of, oh, if I, did, if I show love, then I'm going to condone a certain behavior or whatever. That's not our job to figure out. <laughs> That's that between that person and and God really to figure out. But our job is to show up and just say, I'm with you. I love you. I'm here with you. The second point is to withhold judgment. We so often see only what's on the surface and don't always take time to understand what's going on beneath. When we make an effort to get to know someone and hear their story, it's much more difficult to, it's much more difficult to judge them and so much easier to love them. Sister Sharon Newbank, first counselor in the Lee Society General Presidency, said, let's not judge each other or let our words bite. Let's keep each other's names safe and give the gift of mercy. And I talked about that. I think about moving in. It's hard to hate people close up. So I think um, we talked about that. Uh, number three is ask and listen. There's such a power in taking time to ask sincere questions and listen to one another's experiences. Active listening is key to compassion because it shows people that you are genuinely interested in them and enables them to open up to you more. Sister Michelle D. Craig, first counselor in the Young Woman General Presidency, taught, Jesus Christ sees people deeply. He sees individuals, their needs, and who they can become. When we willingly hear one another's stories and see one another deeply, we open the door to seeing others the way that Christ does. And I think that is a learned art. I think that comes easy to some people and it's not to some people, but I think I know that I have felt more safe in opening up with people whom just listen. Um, I can, you know, I, I can get stuck in this. I think sometimes we can get focused on what, what our response is. And when you're on the other side of that, you can feel that when somebody isn't engaged with you and actively listening but when when you do 
gosh, it just, like I said here, it just opens up these doors to deeper levels of trust and compassion. The last one is to stay engaged. When I have shared my story with others and they choose to continue to show up, uh, show love and support, it has helped me tremendously. Silence can be wounding when we share deeper things of the soul with one another and nothing further is said or done. Being willing to get a little uncomfortable and continue conversations about situations you may not fully understand can provide healing, strength, and growth for you and for those around you. Um, it'd be hard for me to go to somebody who didn't experience this and them teach me. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Try to tell me how to go about this. It's um, it's It's helpful when... Um, somebody is willing to, to just listen to my experience. And then I think people will trust people more when they don't feel preached to, you know, because then I feel like, oh, you're just trying to, to fix me or you're, just, you know, or that is your comfort zone. You're not really, I think sometimes we in the church can use quoting scriptures or saying, I'll give this enzyme article to read, um, but not sit and listen with somebody. But I think, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I just think there's such power. I'm going back to that listening thing, but that also staying engaged and I think continuing conversations about how just continuing to show up and that will look different to each person, but I think there's such healing that can happen with that. Um, and I, I've learned this phrase that silence is wounding. I think when you're, like I've shared earlier, when you're open about things and vulnerable, and then nobody says anything afterwards. What it does is it kind of creates this void, at least for me. And I, I think as it can happen for others where stories, oftentimes false stories or false narratives can start to be made inside my head of like, oh, they're not saying anything because they are weirded out or they're scared of me or they think I'm a freak, right? Like I've, I've told myself that before. <laughs> But when you can go to somebody and say, and continue a conversation and be like, thank you for what you shared. That must've been so hard for you to share. Or how has it been since so-and-so passed away? Like, I can only imagine the loss you're experiencing today. You know what I mean? I just think there's so many ways we can apply to this, but by not saying anything because of out of our own fear, we potentially may cause some more wounding in a sense, or not provide a space for more healing to happen. So anyway, that's my thought on that. I'm going to reread that sentence. You've said it and then explain it, but it's so powerful. I underlined it as you were reading it. Silence can be wounding when we share deeper things of the soul with one another and nothing further is said or done. Pretty powerful, Spencer. Um, just some comments I wrote in my margin, then I'll turn it back to you. I love the book, Braving the Wilderness. It's, I read that as I was becoming an ally. It actually gave me tools to sort of step in this space. Um, it's a book that, I guess my point, listeners, it's a book for all of us. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to read something that's very helpful, just to, I found my ability to find common ground and understand differences and come together as the same human family significantly increased. With that book. Um, I too love your parents. I don't know them as well as you do, but they bless my life. And 
Um, I love your call out to them and how wonderful they are. Your Bishop Jeff Christensen, fellow Highland High alum, vote for Highland High. I love what he did for you um, as you talked about his role because it wasn't complicated in some ways, but it is complicated if that doesn't come to you naturally. He just sat there and listened with you. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we think as friends or leaders, just like you're helping us understand, often we want to give you an article to read or a conference talk or an ensign and kind of just, but I think it's so important what he did and what we all need to do is just sit with people and listen. I love the visual imagery of, of empathy versus sympathy and climbing down and staying. That was really powerful. Me, I, I love your love of your wife. I've met your wife a couple times in the hallway at North star and I can just tell she's full of life and goodness and hope. And just, she has an energy about her and a yep. goodness and an enthusiasm. And yeah, she's, a, she's, she's busy a with those four kids. <laughs> she's um, great. I once changed the name for, I don't claim to be the expert on listening listeners, but I did in my mind um, when it was named home teaching, I thought to myself, I'm renaming this program to Home Listening. Mm, I love that. And I said, because I think that's what I can do best is just go and listen to the people I'm visiting. Instead of having that set message and have kind of a checklist, I've said my message, I'm done. I'm just going to listen. I'm ask questions and follow up questions and not turn the conversation too much to me, not use as a chance to sort of talk about my life, maybe a little bit. But I think... Um, I think what one of the things you're teaching us is how to be ministers in this podcast, because all the principles you're teaching just help us be better um, to fellow members of our church, whether we're ministering sisters or brothers or just fellow Latter-day Saints in a congregation or even in other circles like families or work. And so it's one of the things, and I want to come back to this um, I mentioned this at the beginning, but I listened to Spencer's um, talk about the Savior, and he wants to take our burdens. And I've heard that language before, but somehow Spencer talking about it, I listened um, later after it was recorded on my morning walk, and it's on the corner of 13th South and Vine Street. Every time I go past that corner every morning, I think of you and that talk, because <laughs> it had cool. such a big impact on me, and, and this idea that he's just waiting to take our burdens he's not and doing that doesn't add to his burden he just wants to do that he wants to get in that painting with you (laughs) and be part of the path to healing so maybe you could talk a little bit we'll link to that north star 2020 address and also your 2021 address trust in the lord but you could talk about either of those or anything else you want to do i'll just kind of give it back to you for final comments Sure. Um, thank you so much, Richard. I just want to thank you for all the good that you've done. And you mentioned earlier before we started that you never imagined you'd be in this space doing a podcast. And anyway, I just I just commend your efforts and the thank good you. that you're doing and the conversations that I think you're making happen because they're so needed. So thank, thank you for you, your Spencer. heart and your love and your goodness. And um, there's just a neat spirit about you. So I'm thank you, man. really grateful for you and all you do. So um I'll just, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, one point real quick. I know I mentioned about just giving people instant articles. I'm not saying that's wrong. Obviously, I wrote right. an article in the Leona, <laughs> but I'm just saying if that's your Good first point. response to somebody, think about that first. I think, um, I think be aware, is that what the person needs in that moment? And if it is, great. 
And if it's not, they may just need to be heard. I think people are more open oftentimes when it's complicated things. They just want to, I think we have such a desire to be a feel seen and heard first. And, um, and then I think there is more space to give people resources. But I think there has to be that, to me, that relationship of trust first. And then I think the door's open to provide a scripture or, you know what I mean? That, that is so nice. I'm like, hey, I was reading the scripture today. I thought of you. You know, it's ways like that, I think, that are so helpful. So I, w- I didn't want to like say that was wrong because I think that is such a great thing. But I think the intention behind it needs to often sometimes be checked. But just, I guess, one last thought I had. Um, I think sometimes God asks us hard to do hard things. And this is a hard, like for me, this has been a hard thing (laughs) and I'm grateful for it, but it hasn't been easy, but I've learned. And I, I've learned that like, I think we can simplify this phrase of like, look to the, look to God and like, look to Christ in all things. (laughs) Right. I think it talks about in DNC six, like look unto me in every thought. There's so much to that if you really sit with that. But I think Christ emulates in every way how we should live life. And one thing I've learned and that my therapist actually taught me recently was he did the hard things because of his love of the Father. And I think he was able to draw upon a power from heaven. And I mentioned this in my 2021 talk, but he was able to do the hard, like really the biggest, most I mean, challenging thing of all time out of his love for us, but also really out of love for his father. And I think it's love, love for the father that can enable us to do these hard things because keeping covenants, keeping commandments, especially with issues surrounding sexuality and gender, you know, it's hard. I'm not here to paint this picture perfect path. It's not, but if you can work, if we, and if I, you know, can all work on fostering a love of the Lord, there is a power, a heavenly power that we can draw upon that will enable us to move forward. And so I just wanted to share that last thought because Christ emulated that for us, that he did the hardest thing of all out of love. And I think we can do these big things, these hard things that God asks of us out of love. And there is a power there. And I testify of that power. And it's a power you won't find anywhere else but with him. So, Well, on behalf of all of our listeners that you've helped, there's hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people who are better off because of your ministry. Through North Star, through your church LDS tools assignment. Um, through this Leahona article, um, through the podcasts and the other things that you've done, you have a unique life mission, Spencer, to bring hope and healing. And on behalf of all of our listeners that have been helped by what you've shared, thank you. So this is Richard Osler and Spencer Thompson, two U of Ute fans, by the way. <laughs> yes, we are. Signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. 